0: Now, Ron, you've said that this book is, quote, not for the shy or people who just want to sing Kumbaya. Who is this book for?
1: Now, this book is for people who want to have serious conversations and begin to awaken to what's going on in America and want to be part of the changes. So uh, if you are, and I have to tell you, it, it covers the gamut. It, it goes from the confrontational, these are the things that we need to think about and talk about, to this is what happens when we all think, walk, and talk together. The problems that we're having in America are not strictly for people of color, and they won't be resolved only by people of color. And and that becomes extremely obvious when when you look at the protests that are going on around the United States and around the world.
0: Ronald Montgomery believes America is in the midst of a much-needed awakening. I'm Sarah Fenske. This is St. Louis on the Air. Ron Montgomery believes the new book he's edited will help wake up readers to the reality of racism in America and to the injustices baked into our criminal justice system. It's called Enough. Say Their Names. Messages from Ground Zero to the World. Ronald Montgomery is a poet and an activist, and he joins us today to explain what inspired this book and also to share some of the voices it contains. So, Ron, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having us.
0: So I understand in addition to your work as a poet, you're also a full-time contractor for AT&T, and I understand it's that of all the various things that you do that ultimately led to this book. How so?
2: (laughs)
1: Yeah. Well it was it was quite interesting. Yeah, I am a contractor working for AT&T and I retired from AT&T as well. But I was actually watching an interview done by Gail King of our former CEO uh, Randall Stevenson mm. and I was I was very very impressed by the fact that he was calling out the other CEOs to get corporate America involved in making changes mm. changes that would affect employees as well as the uh, the people who buy from the companies. That was that was only one thing though. I have to add there was the other part that came into this is that after being aware of what happened with Breonna Taylor and mm-hmm. watching the killing of George Floyd, mm-hmm. I felt it was an imperative that you know to get up and do something. Standing up and doing something was was the only way to proceed forward. And doing nothing. And waiting for someone else to solve the problem was not an option.
0: Hmm. And before you started doing something, um, meaning this book, you traveled. You traveled to quite a few of these sites where uprisings were happening. What led you to decide to take to the road to see this all firsthand?
1: Well, once the decision was made, I, I slept on this for a few days trying to determine what to do. Uh, As Stacey Abrams would say, one of the things that keeps us from moving forward very often is lack of finances. Hmm. (laughs) So I had to consider that, especially during the pandemic. Sure. So after thinking about it, I, I determined that I had to go to Ground Zero. I had to be in Minneapolis and talk to the people who were actually protesting. I had to be there while this was going on. So I took a weekend and went to Minneapolis. Uh, I came back, spent the week working, and then took off the next weekend and went to Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. and spent the weekend there. That was the same weekend that uh, President Trump was in Tulsa. And I, I talked to the activists here and talk- took hundreds, hundreds of photos in both places, Minneapolis and Washington, D.C. Then I came back to Oregon, and then I spent the next weekend in Portland. Um, since I live in Oregon, it was a-, a fairly short commute. And I spent that weekend actually talking— and taking more photographs. So it, it was. this has been, you know, it was a matter of getting the, the photographs to go into the book first
2: mm-hmm.
1: in order to decide what the messages were going to be uh, for each one of those cities. Additionally, I got other photographs from people around Madison, Chicago, St. Louis, Dallas, Texas, and the messages were stunning and very pithy to see the ladies.
0: And so you, these photos that you took at all these different sites of protest, then you sent these to these poets, and they they were inspired by these photos then in, in their individual compositions?
1: They were. They were. Uh, what I did is I started off with two poets that I, I trusted uh, intimately. Uh, we had Emily Rochelle, and then we had uh, uh, Annette Cassells. And Annis and Emily and I talked and tried to figure out what other writers would be the perfect blend for writing about these messages. Mm -hmm. Because we wanted to expand the messages, you know, either with poetry or prose, in order to, you know, line up with the pictures that matched those words. And so it ended up with uh, seven other writers besides myself and about 13 other photographers.
0: So these writers, they all have um, diverse backgrounds, and um, there's some wonderful poetry in here. I actually I want to play one of your fellow contributors. Um, this is from Lawrence Diggs. He's a poet in South Dakota. He's on the board of directors for the South Dakota State Poetry Society. He tries to promote poetry around the state as a way of communication. And here's how he explained the idea behind his poem, Kneecapped. Uh,
3: this poem is called Kneecapped. And it's uh, a poem that kind of uh, juxtaposes uh, what the American dream meant for some people. And the fact that uh, Colin Kaepernick uh, was kind of like, uh, disgraced by, in some people's eyes, uh, for trying to bring attention to Uh, police violence against certain areas of our population. It's called kneecapped. We swallowed the American fecal that all are created and will be treated equal. We wanted to believe the American dream meant for equal effort, equal reward would be sent. We pledged allegiance to this country's call that promised liberty and justice for all. We bled for this sweet land of liberty because we thought there was a me in the thee. We had faith in the facade that this is a nation under God. For all that, we clapped and then we got Kneecapped.
0: Hmm. And that is from Lawrence Diggs. He's a poet in South Dakota. That's a, a powerful piece there.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, what you might not know is he's also a, uh, bo- a Buddhist chaplain at the prison. Oh, my. Nearby. Yes.
0: I imagine that work in the prison, that, that probably informs a lot of how he's thinking about these issues.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. He's, he's been around. He's a very fine writer, and he's experienced a lot. So it informs his writing.
0: I want to play another one of these uh, uh, from a contributor. This is Diane Ashburner. She lives here in St. Louis, and she told us that when there's not a pandemic, her job involves managing excursions for a cruise company, and uh, that job is, is obviously not something she's doing right now for obvious reasons, but she called her extra time and her recent involvement in the Enough book a real gift. It's allowed her to do a deep dive into her own biases and her background growing up. So let's listen to her introduce and read her poem, Sidelined No More.
2: Eight minutes and 46 seconds of smartphone video of a knee planted on the neck of George Floyd set off an avalanche of awakening for white America, who in the past easily dismissed or turned a blind eye to this on the spot injustice metered out to black America. This video proved that on any given day for any given reason, with the luck of the draw of the law enforcement personnel, swift, brutal injustice could rule the day and that needs to end now. White America has finally stepped up to stand with, fight side by side with and become advocates for the changes in society that need to happen to write the white mythology and change the systemic norms of stereotypes and wrongs that have been perpetuated against blacks to truly make black lives matter. The poem is entitled, Sidelined No More. Hey you, yes, You there, behind the mask of pandemic, watching the decay of systemic racism. As lines are formed and hands clasped in reaction to clubs' grasp to stop the movement that has swelled, do you finally feel compelled? Join up, stand with, march forth through the precinct, finding words. With clarity, Sink using your privilege, White, to voice the insurrection needed to change direction So welcoming the multitude color of others without pretense will finally achieve justice in a real sense.
0: And that is the poet Diane Ashburner, who lives in St. Louis. Now, Ron, so many people are working now to amplify black voices. What made you want to also include white poets um, within this project?
1: the, The problems that we're having in America are not strictly for people of color, and they won't be resolved only by people of color. And and that becomes extremely obvious when you when you look at the protests that are going on around the United States and around the world. We are a very, people of color are relatively small in terms of our percentage, and we don't have enough leverage. Hmm. We also understand that the power is not in the hands of the people of color. They The power is in the hands of, of other sisters and brothers that understand what the struggle is about and want to be part of it. And this is eminently evident when you start watching. I'd, I'd say in the protest marches that I took part in, I'd say easily 75 percent of the participants were white.
2: Hmm.
0: And you, you welcome those allies.
1: Yes, yes, they were. You know, I'm I'm a man of color. I'm black, and I'm there. And it's, it's, it's it was amazing. Not only were they was the crowd diverse, but we had so many young people that are leading this. Leading the struggle for it. They will make the changes. I mean, we're getting to a point right now where 25% of our population will be of retirement age. Mm -hmm. The people who will make the changes will be the young people, and I'm so proud of them. Mm
0: -hmm. Now, another person who played a role in this book this is the acclaimed poet Nikki Giovanni. She provided a blurb endorsing this book. This is obviously a huge deal. How did you first connect with her?
1: (laughs) My poetic sister, Nikki Giovanni, I have been writing for. Uh, several decades now, and I normally share my writing with uh, Dr. Giovanni to get her feel, uh, mm-hmm. to get her a review, and to find out if I'm, you know, doing the best I can. She is my role model and my mentor.
0: So you have so, a long-standing relationship with her.
1: I have a long-standing relationship with her. I mean, we're we're not what you would call uh, really close. I mean, she reads my books and she sends me letters. Uh, since she doesn't do anything electronically, uh, at least not until now, hmm. she would write me letters and tell me what she thought, and it meant the world to me and kept me moving forward. I remember my first uh, letter back from her. She said, continue to practice your craft and you will get better. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> a... <laughs> that, was, that was not what I wanted to hear, but it kept me moving forward. And, 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 uh,
0: and she's continued to provide that feedback as, as you've been writing poetry all these years.
1: Yes. Yes, she has and it's been wonderful.
0: So many of your, collab- you've had so many uh, collaborators on this volume, and I understand they all donated their time. Um, one is Joan Barnridge, who's a, a longtime graphic designer at the University of Missouri-St. Louis. How did you work with her to bring the visual aspect of this book together?
1: Oh, she's, she's wonderful. You know, she saw me um, struggling. You know, I was uh, I was in deep water and not able to swim when I was actually putting together design and layout for this book. I did it in a program that was not intended for this purpose. Hmm. And Joan reached out to me and she said, Ron, let me help you." And I said, "You know, I said, fine. I I need all the help I can get." Joan and I have been friends for many, many years. We worked together at AT and T. many years ago in the same department, and she was doing the same sort of work.
0: I'm, I'm so. more struck that you thought you could do the design work on this book all by yourself. That seems like a huge thing to take on in addition to, to curating, you know, all these collaborators and, and poets. Um, did you feel like you had to put this whole thing on your shoulders at first? Well,
1: I, I realize that we had a short amount of time to deal with here. Mm-hmm. The, we were in the midst of a pandemic, and the, the real pandemic was not so much the disease out there. I mean, it still is an issue. But the pandemic that's socially uh, draining our country and driving us to our knees is, is what's happening in terms of social injustice. And I figured it could not wait. I wanted to get the book out as soon as possible. And in 148 147 days, we went from uh, that started in June 3rd. We went from nothing to this publication. Hmm. And it couldn't it would not have come out as well as it did without the the help of Joan and and the other members of this team. We have a family, and it worked well.
0: Hmm. So this book, again, it's called Enough, Say Their Names, Messages from Ground Zero to the World. Uh, you can find a link about that on our website. That's stlpublicradio.org. Now, Ron, you've said that this book is, quote, not for the shy or people who just want to sing Kumbaya. Who is this book for?
1: Now, this book is for people who want to have serious conversations and begin to awaken to what's going on in America and want to be part of the changes. So uh, if you are, and I have to tell you, it it covers the gamut. It it goes from the confrontational, these are the things that we need to think about and talk about, to this is what happens when we all think, walk, and talk together. Hmm. And that is good.
0: What kind of reaction have you gotten so far from readers?
1: awesome. It's been absolutely awesome. It's, it ranges from tears to, you know, um, mini Satori's where light bulbs are coming on and folks are saying, I never knew. Hmm. And so we've reached our crowd.
2: Well, that's,
0: that's terrific to hear. We want to encourage people to check out this book. You can find it, um, again, it's on our website, or you can also go to enoughsaytheirnames.com. Again, that's enoughsaytheirnames.com if you want to get one of your own. And we do want to mention um, a couple of the other poets featured in this book took time to read their poems for us today. And unfortunately, we ran out of time. We were just getting so many good callers in that first half of the show. We're going to make sure to tweet those recordings, and we'll also include them in our web version later today. So we want to Encourage people to check that out. Our Twitter is at STL on Air. You can also find our, our web version of this at STLpublicradio.org. So, Ron Montgomery, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and congratulations on this book.
1: Thank you. Our pleasure.
0: And you can find more about that book again at enoughsaytheirnames.com. Tomorrow is Thanksgiving, and while that might look different this year for all of us, we will continue the public radio tradition of airing Splendid Tables' annual Turkey Confidential. You can catch that at noon, and then at 7 p.m., it's a special encore edition of St. Louis on the Air. We'll air my conversations with author Vivian Gibson and UMSL criminologist Richard Rosenfeld. He shared his thoughts on quote-unquote defunding the police. And if you miss a conversation, never fear. We record all of our St. Louis on the Air conversations. We make each one a podcast. Available for for listening at your convenience. Find individual episodes at stlpublicradio.org and never miss a conversation by subscribing. You can find St. Louis on the Air on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts on the App Store. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening and a happy Thanksgiving to all of you. I'm Sarah Fenske.